Hey there, it's Janet Wynn, a church member here at Normandale. You're listening to the sermon podcast from Normandale Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope that this sermon is encouraging for you as you seek to know Jesus better. If you are helped by this sermon, we want to invite you to support the ongoing ministry of Normandale. You can do that by going to normandale.org slash give. And thanks for listening. So turn to Luke chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 1. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 1 is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to continue in our uh, mini-series inside of a series. So if you recall, we were going through Revelation, and uh, we went through all of chapter 12 in, cha- in, in the book of Revelation, and what we saw was the call to be a conqueror over Satan. And, but there was one, one way in, in verse 11 of chapter 12 that it told us that we can live or exist as conquerors now, and that is by the blood of the Lamb and by living by the word of our testimony. And so we've launched into a mini-series about how do you live according to the word of your testimony? How do you evangelize or live in the manner that God calls us to be on mission? And, uh, and so uh, we're in Luke chapter 10 today, and have you ever been tasked with cleaning a, a very, very, very uh, dirty room, like a room that is not just dirty, like, oh, I need to clean the baseboards. Or not. No, no. I'm talking about a room that is packed out with stuff, where you show up to clean this room or this garage or this house or this basement, whatever, and you show up and you start, you're going to clean this, and you, sh- you look in the room and you're like, I don't even know what to do. And you get completely overwhelmed. And so when, when you look in the room, all of a sudden you get completely paralyzed because you're like, I don't even know where to begin to clean this room. This happens at our house all the time in my boys' room. We got three boys that lives in one room and uh, all their toys are in there and all their dress-up clothes are in there and everything gets dumped every single day. And uh, we're like, hey, you need to go clean your room. And they can't manage to do it. And uh, then I walk in there and I recognize why they can't do it because it's very overwhelming. And so maybe you've had that experience uh, where it's your room that you're told to clean up, and you're like, I don't even know how to do this. Or maybe it's uh, your kid's room, or maybe it is a, a house or something after a family member or a friend has passed away, and they just packed a lot of stuff in that house over a lot of years, and now it's your responsibility to clean it out. And it's just completely overwhelming. Now, why do I, why do I bring that up? Because sometimes when you hear the word evangelism or you hear the word sharing your faith or telling someone else about Jesus, it can feel the exact same way to you as that burdensome room. Because you walk up to the task and you're like, I know that I'm supposed to complete this. I know that God wants me to do this. And I, in some sense, do want to be able to do this, but when I look at the, the task in front of me, I really have no idea where to even begin. And part of that, there's a couple reasons why that's the case. One of it is, is due to the manner in which sharing your faith has been presented to you over the course of your Christian life, uh, the method that's been presented to you. And uh, so you got a method, and you're like, that just doesn't, I don't, that doesn't feel comfortable to me to be able to share the gospel in the way that you've been taught to do it. Um, there's some other, some other ways in which it's overwhelming, and, and it's just the unending, unsurmountable scope of the task. Like there are three to four 
or more billion people in the world who don't know Jesus. And you're like, everyone's a target. I don't even know what to do. I don't know who to talk to, right? Or uh, there's another reason. Maybe it's just the, the awkwardness that you feel about going to talk to someone about their core beliefs, when in reality, the vast majority of our conversations with people never go beyond, is your family doing okay? How are the Rangers doing? How are the Cowboys doing? Uh, what's the weather like today? What are you doing this weekend? You know, most of our conversations stay there. And so when you're like, I want to talk to someone about their core beliefs, well, then that takes another level. You're like, I'm not used to that kind of a conversation with someone, right? And then the lastly is sometimes it's also personality-driven. There are some people you can recognize that are very outgoing. And you're like, yeah, I can share the gospel. That's fine. I'll go talk to someone at the lumber yard. That's fine. No problem. And just walk right up to someone. You're like, hey, man, what are you working on? How'd you work on that? Do you know Jesus worked on you? You know, like whatever. But there are others in this room who you laugh at that because you're like, that could never be me. There are some of you for whom if I said your job before you leave today is to go initiate a conversation with another church member. You couldn't do it. You would clam up. You're like, I can't do that, right? Because you're just really introverted, and you lean into it. And so there's some of us where it's personality-driven to where you're like, I can't evangelize because that's just not how God made me. And so there's a lot of reasons, these myriad of reasons in which you might look or hear the word evangelism and think I have no clue how to do this, how to carry this out, how to begin to take this garage apart and begin to clean it up in a sense. And so what I want to do over this week and next week and potentially the following week is help you begin to clear that garage. I want to help you see a discernible pathway to where you can engage in talking or sharing your faith with someone else in a way that normal people can do it. Normal people like us can carry this out. It's not just the super Christians like Paul, right? You can do this, and there's avenues for you to do it. There are other methods than just the shotgun blast I'm going to share with everyone today. And so that's what we're going to talk through over the next, this week and next week and all that. And so in Luke chapter 10, this is where we're going to start. Now what's happening in this chapter in Luke chapter 10 is Jesus, there's a heightening uh, urgency because Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem for the final time. And, uh, and they're heading there, and, uh, and so there's an urgency among Jesus and his disciples that he's trying to give to his disciples, saying, hey, listen, everyone around us is making a decision whether to accept me and my kingdom or reject me and my kingdom. And, uh, and it's urgent that people make this decision on what they want to do with me, especially then because they have the grace of seeing him in person and his time is coming to a close. And so he's like, these people need to get on or get off pretty quickly uh, because I'm leaving soon. And, uh, but we come to chapter 10 and he's, he starts describing a type of event that God works within people. And he calls it a spiritual harvest to where God is working to prepare inside of people hearts that are ready to receive him. And so, uh, so that's what's happening in this chapter is that there are people in the towns that are coming up to where Jesus and his disciples are coming toward that are getting ready to hear about Jesus, to receive the word of the gospel and to respond by faith to that message and to be able to see him as he's coming through their town. And, uh, and so that's what we're looking at 
today. But but here's what the outline. Now, typically, I've I've kind of gotten to a uh, I don't I don't want to say rut, but I've gotten into a uh, a pattern. I've got my three points, you know, typically, and uh, I've, I've I used to not have points at all. Then I've gotten into a thing like three points. No, not today. We got five or six. We'll see how many we get to. Okay, but it's going to be good stuff. All right. Now. But where we're going to end up, here's what I want you to figure out. This very first thing, we're going we're gonna to see things like the, you know, who God, the God who sends us, the God who delights in grace. We're going to see how do you answer the call or will you answer the call to respond to him. You are equipped to do the task. You're going to see these different things. But here's the main thing I want you to take away this morning. This step one in your own evangelism. How do you identify who to share the gospel with? How do you identify as a person to be able to share the message of grace that you've received? How do you identify who that person should be? If everyone out there is, is, a, is a possibility, how do you identify who? That's what I want you to get out of this. But before we get there, here's the first thing I want you to see in this text. We see the, the God who delights in grace. Okay, the God who delights in grace. Look at verse 1 with me. After this... The Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So let's pray, and then we'll begin to dig into the word together. So Father, we come before you. We thank you for this text, this opportunity we have to grow in our faith, grow in our following of you, grow in our evangelism, but to be able to see it as something that's attainable for normal people like us. And so open our eyes to see and the ears to hear what it, what it is you are saying to us today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so before you head out on any evangelist method, you need to figure out who is the God who sends you. Who's the God behind all of this? And look what he says here. God, the, the Jesus is sending out 72 disciples or followers ahead of him into villages. You know Jesus had followers more than just the original 12. He had a whole group of people. And at this point, he's sending out 72 ahead of him into villages that are ahead of them in Samaria. And uh, so he's sending them out ahead of them uh, to every town and place where he himself was about to go. But then he says this to the people who are sent out, who are doing the work. The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to who? The Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And so Jesus is sending people out to engage the villages, to call them by faith, to respond to Jesus as he's going to come into their village so they can see their Messiah in their midst while he's there before he dies on a cross. And, uh, but he calls himself this awesome, interesting name, the Lord of the harvest. You see, Jesus sees himself and his ministry as built fundamentally on who God is. He sees himself and his ministry is built fundamentally on who God is. God is the God of generous grace and the God of astonishing, powerful, 
healing love. You see, He's always reaching out, always desiring other people to be brought in. And so, Jesus came not with a message of condemnation or with a message of, you need to do better. God expects more from you. No, no, no. Remember, Jesus came to do for us that which we could never do for ourselves. He died in our place on the cross, and as a result of that, we gain forgiveness from God, and we get restored back into a right relationship with God. And so Jesus' entire life, His entire ministry is a demonstration that He lives to see people accepted by God. He lives to see people loved by God. He delights in lives that produce faith in God. He delights in people flourishing and entering His kingdom. And so, He's saying there is a harvest out there of people who are waiting to hear of how they can be restored back to God in heaven. And I'm sending you out to go find them. They are my people, and I want them with me. He is the Lord of the harvest. And I thought that was an awesome point. He sends us because of who He is. He doesn't want any people left out. He wants them brought in. He is the Lord of the harvest. And the second thing is this, second point here. Look at verse 2. What does He ask them to pray? He sends these guys out, and He's like, you guys are working Go out as my ambassadors, call people by faith to respond to me as I'm going to come into their village. And so he says, pray this, the harvest is abundant, but the workers, the people who are sent out to share the gospel, the ones who are calling people to respond to Jesus by faith, they're few. There's not enough. And so for you guys who are engaging in the mission, you need to pray for other people to come and help you do this. That's what he says. He says, pray, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send other people to come and help you. It's not pray that other people would finally feel it in their bones to come and take action. No, he prays, he says, pray to God that God would send other people. I don't know, kind of interesting. God's in control of this situation. It's not God's just like waiting on us to respond to him. But Warren Wearsby said this, and this is where we get into a rut because we read this and we're like, yes, I'll pray. I'll pray for God to send missionaries to Bangladesh, or I'll pray that God send someone to talk to this person at my office, or that God would send, like, God, I pray that you would just send, send someone to share the gospel with, with, my, with my brother or with my neighbor on the street, God, that you would bring something in their life that would lead them. Now, you desire them to come to know Jesus, but there's a prayer that someone else would be the avenue to do it. Warren Wearsby points this out. He's like, it's not the job of those who are on the sidelines to pray for other people to get in the game. It's the job of those who are already in the game to pray for other people to come help them. That's what Jesus says here. He's talking to people who are already engaging in it. And he's like, pray for others to come help you. And so the question then is this, because these guys prayed for it. And so this second point is this, will you answer the call? Will you be an answer to their prayer? I think that's a crazy thought. Like, these guys prayed for more harvesters, more helpers, and the call for you and me is, will we be the ones who answer the prayer? Will God use us to do it in our time, in our day and age? Like, is God going to use you to do it? Are you going to answer it? And so, the question then is this. If you desire to be an answer to the prayer of the saints, 
could you actually do it? Like, if you really think about it, like, if, if you're like, yes, I, God, I feel like God's called me to do something. I feel like God calls me to, to evangelize. I want to be a part of the solution. I want to be reaching out. But, like, if I'm really honest, like, when I leave church today, and I'm going somewhere else, and I'm going to lunch, and then I get on with my normal life, and I go to work tomorrow morning, and, like, I slip back into normal, normal routine, like, could I actually do this? I want you to see what Jesus says. Because here's what he tells us here, starting in verse 4, or verse 3. Here's what he says, verse point 3. You are actually equipped for the task already. You're already equipped for the task. Look at verse 4. I mean, 3. Now go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Awesome. Okay, verse 4. Don't carry a money bag, a traveling bag, or sandals. And don't greet anyone along the road. Now, that's an interesting verse. Why would he say that? Why would he say, don't take money with you? Don't take extra clothes with you, extra sandals with you? Don't worry about a a suitcase or anything like that. Just go. Why would he say that? See, what Jesus is getting at for his disciples and for you and me is that you and I, although we may believe we need to, do not need to stop and prepare. He's getting at, you guys are already equipped for the task. I've already given you everything you need to be able to carry this out. You don't need to go home to get a suitcase. You don't need to go home to get extra set of clothes. You don't need to go home to get your wallet that you forgot. Like, you're already equipped with everything you need to do what I've called you to do. So for you and me, what this translates to You don't need a master's degree from Southwestern Seminary to be able to do what God calls you to do. You do not need extra evangelism training, although we will give it to you, to be able to do what God calls you to do. You do not need 10 years of a discipleship relationship to be able to do what God calls you to do. He's already equipped you. You already have existing within you, if you believed in Jesus to do all that God calls you to do. And that is a cool thought. You possess it already. Why? Because when you believed in Jesus, you were restored into a right relationship with the Father in heaven. And at that point, what he did is he sent his spirit proceeding from the Son and the Father to come and dwell you, to live in you, to empower you and encourage you to follow Jesus, to live for him, to praise him, worship him, and to carry out what he desired you to do in the world. You are equipped with everything you need to be able to do what God calls you to do. And so what do you have? You have the Holy Spirit, and you have the word of your testimony. See, what did you believe when you became a Christian? That Jesus died, that you're a sinner, that Jesus died for you, that he rose from the dead, and because of that, you gained forgiveness from God. That testimony of yours is all that you need. You've got it already in you. And so that's a cool thought. You just have to be willing. Look also what he says. He says this, don't carry a money bag, don't carry a traveling bag, don't get extra clothes or sandals, and then don't greet anyone along the road. (laughs) Don't be a jerk for Jesus. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, greetings back then would be 
kind of ornate. They would be extensive, and it would take you a lot of time. And what he's saying is, I want you to be focused. You've got a task at hand, and I want you to get where you're supposed to go, and I want you to engage in it now. I don't want you to linger around. I don't want you to think, you know what? I know that God caused me to do it, and maybe one day when I'm 60, I'll care about it, and I'll do it then. Heads up, if, you're not, if you don't care about it now, you're not going to care about it then. You're, gonna set, you're setting the pattern for the rest of your life today. And so, that's what, I don't know, interesting thought. But check out the simple message here. Look at the simple message. Verse 5, whatever house you enter, first say peace to this household. Look how simple the message is. It's not walk in there and you need to have a sermon ready to go and you need to have like the memorized of like, hey, uh, did, okay, back in Genesis, there was a man who was like, no, 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 you don't need a whole sermon. You just walk in and he's talking about peace with God. Do you have peace with God? It's all it's about. It's just, just Jesus is getting at just this real simple message here. Now, we're going to talk more next week about actually what is the full message. Right now, we're just trying to get to a point of how do you identify who to talk to? I understand that. But I think there are these preliminary things that I think are important for you and me. Is recognize that there's a God who's sending us. The God who delights in people being brought in. And the question for you and me as followers of Jesus is will you answer the call? Will you be the answer to their prayer for more helpers? And as you engage in that, you need to understand that you are already equipped for the task of doing this. You are already equipped for the task that God calls you to do. And so here's the third thing I want, I mean, fourth thing I want you to see. Look at verse 6. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. And so here's the fourth point. How do you identify your one, O-N-E? How do you identify who you should share the gospel with? Because remember, we're presenting this in a way. What I'm wanting you to see is a discernible pathway for you to be able to share the gospel in your normal life. And so, yes, you can go out and you can share the gospel shotgun blast with every person you see. The reality is, is yeah, you, that, you could say, yes, you'll go do that. But if we're honest, 99% of the people in this room, including me, will not do that. And so I don't want you to begin with thinking, how do I, how do I share the gospel with 100 people this week? I want you to begin to think through, how do I share the gospel with one person this year? How do I share the gospel with one person? Because going from zero to one is the biggest win you will ever experience. And so how do you identify your one? Well, what does the text say? If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. However, if it's not, it will return to you. So clearly, there are people out there in the world who will or are more incentivized, the wrong word, who are more inclined to receive the gospel. And there are many who are less inclined to receive the gospel. It doesn't mean God can't work in their hearts, but it does mean that there's going to be less inclined. And so if you're identifying who is my person I'm going to share the gospel with, that God like, wants to, me to share with, like, how do you identify who that person is who may be more inclined to hear the message from you? 
And so what I want you to do is I want you to either, if you've got notes, I want you to turn to a clean page real quick. Or if you've got your phone with you, open a new notes page on your phone. Something to write some names down. I want to help you do this. How do you identify who a person of peace is? Because there are others who do not know Jesus who are willing to accept Him and willing to hear about Him if they're given a little nudge. And so on your notes or on your phone, what I want you to do is I want you to write down the names of three to six people in your life, in your sphere. It could be family, it could be work, it could be hobbies, it could be kids' activities that you know do not know Jesus. And for real, write them, write them down on your phone or on your notepad. This is going to be helpful for you, I think. And so some of you are still writing. That's cool. Um, but as you look at your list, I want you to look at your list. I just want you to consider them for a second, okay? Now, on your list, as after identifying those names, I want you to think who, in broad terms, is moving towards you, and which of those names, in broad terms, are moving away from you. What I mean by that are openness, desire for a relationship, contact, ongoing contact, uh, trust among one of you, or both, both of you. Who on your list is moving towards you, and which of those names are moving away from you? And then I want you to circle, or if you've got it on your notes, bold, the names that are moving toward you. And this practice was eye-opening for me because I had some names on my list that I thought were like, these are my one. And then as I really began to consider, like, who's moving toward me and who's moving away from me, I began to recognize that who I, who I was trying to pull in was actually moving away from me. And uh, it was kind of eye-opening and, uh, in a sense, frustrating. <laughs> but after you've got your names circled or bolded on your phone... I want you to see those people, and it could be one of them, it could be three of them. Those circled names are your people of peace. Those circled names are your people of peace. Those are the people that are moving towards you, that have a, you have a relationship with, that there's building trust among you two. And so these are your one or that one is your one. This is your person who are like, hey man, this is the one that I want to focus on trying to share how do you find a relationship with God with. Now we're going to tell you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you, okay, well, now that you got your one, what do you do next? That's next week. But for now, there's another preliminary thought I want you to see. Look at verse 8. When you enter any town... And they welcome you. Eat the things set before you. Heal the sick. And this is message to the apostles. This is not, not necessarily for us. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. And when you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we are wiping off even the dust of your town that clings to our feet as a witness against you. Know this for certain. The kingdom of God has come near. And I tell you, on that day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom 
than for that town. Here's the fifth point. Leave the results to God. You see, what did these guys do? These followers of Jesus were sent out into these villages, and they were given the, he said, listen, you're equipped to do the task. Here's the message you share. Here's how you identify who to talk to. But if you show up and the message is not received, it's not on you. It's not on you. So what your job is to do is to identify your one. It's to pray for them. It's to lean into that relationship. But ultimately, what happens in their heart is not up to you. You can't affect change in anyone's heart. That's up to the Spirit of God. I think there's a comfort, kind of a freedom in that, is I'm going to do what God's going to call me to do, but it's not my job to save anyone. Only God saves. Leave the results to God. And here's the sixth point. Why is this important? This is important because Jesus says He is the Lord of the harvest. And if we follow Him, then what He cares about becomes what we care about. Jesus cares about outsiders becoming insiders. He cares about people who do not know God to be coming into a relationship to knowing God. Like, this sounds like, if you're on the outside today, if you're like, hey man, this sounds weird, like, this is not manipulation. What we genuinely believe, what Jesus teaches us is that knowing God is the most important thing that anyone could ever do. And if we claim to be friends with people, but we don't say, hey, here's how you can know God too, just like we've come to know Him, then you're not a good friend, right? That's not being a good friend. And so the things that Jesus cares about become the things that we care about because we follow Jesus. And here's the second reason that's important. Because we care about these people. We care about these people. Look what happens. Look at verse 12. I tell you on that day, it will be more tolerable for, for Sodom than for that town. Remember Sodom, the place in the Old Testament that got destroyed with fire from heaven? And he's saying, for those who reject the kingdom now, who reject Jesus now, it will be worse off for them than it was for the people of the city of Sodom who got destroyed. And so, N.T. Wright said, Jesus' messengers, therefore, had to go with a word of warning as well as an invitation to peace. Because to refuse the message of Jesus would mean courting the disaster of going the opposite way of God Himself. And so we do it because we love Jesus and because we love these people. And so now, what do you do? Because you're like, you haven't given me the next steps. You're right, I haven't given you the next steps. But for this week, what do you do? Now that you have identified your one or your group of one, what do you do? I want you to pray for them this week. And I want you to lean into that relationship. Contact them. Say, hey, just thinking about you. Prayed for you. Let them know you prayed for them. That could be a big step. And now if you're here today and you don't know Jesus and this sounds weird or sounds manipulative or whatever, here's the story of the gospel. Here's what we believe. Is that God is holy and that means He's perfect. And in fact, He's so perfect that nothing unholy or nothing corrupt could ever be with Him. 
But mankind, on the other hand, we've corrupted ourselves because we've sinned. We've rebelled against God. And so, therefore, because God is holy and we are not, we can never be in Him. We could never be in a right relationship with Him. And as such, we are destined both now and for all of eternity to be separated from Him and His goodness and from His love. And that means, yes, now spiritually, but also into eternity in a place called hell. But God loves. He doesn't want that to be the case. So, He sent His Son, Jesus, to come and die, live the life that we could never live, of perfection, and to die the death that we deserved in our place, and then He resurrected from the dead. And so, now everyone who believes in Jesus gains His perfection in place of their sinfulness and gain forgiveness from God. And what that does is that restores us back into a right relationship with God in heaven. And then what you do is you say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you with the rest of my life. It's as simple as admit, believe, confess. Admit you're a sinner. Believe Jesus died on the cross for you and grants you forgiveness and confess Jesus as the Lord, the new master over your life. And once you do that, you're a Christian. And so, if that is you, if you have questions about that, or if you want to pray with someone about that, I'm going to be standing in the back corner by those doors over there. And so, as the band uh, comes up or gets ready to play, let's pray together, and then we're going to give you time to respond. And so, Father, we come before you, and we thank you for your word. And so, I pray that it is teaching us and, and opening our hearts to be able to live out what you desire us to do, is, is to live on mission, to call other people to come by faith, to respond to you, and to be restored into a right relationship with God. And so I pray that you would give us boldness, but also fill us with encouragement of knowing that the task ahead of us is not impossible for us, but that you've actually equipped us already to be able to carry out what it is you call us to do. But not only have you already equipped us, but you also go with us. And so, God, we pray that you would fill us with faith in that. And then the coming weeks, God, help us to see that the task ahead of us is not insurmountable and that you haven't called us individually to go save the world. where you've called us to work within the sphere that you have given us, with the personalities that we have, in the location that we are at, with the faith that we've got, or with the testimony that we've received. And so help us to walk by faith. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So during this response time, again, I'll be in the back if you want to pray with someone, but maybe it's a good time for you to pray for your one. And so as the band plays, you respond.